Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. I wasn't with you last week. Brother Gary preached for me last week. And I didn't have a chance to follow up with our revival conference, but boy, wasn't that great if you had a chance to be here. Those men of God preached the Word of God in great power and challenged us in so many ways. And it's it's another one of those steps that we're taking towards revival. I want you to get out of your mind that revival is is a four-day meeting where we have this revival meeting. We're looking for a revival experience, amen? And that is where God renews our heart and works in our life and builds within us a fresh love for Christ. And we're doing that all year long. Remember, it's 2020 is the year of revival. We're asking God to revive our hearts individually, to revive us as families, to revive our church, our community, and, and pray that God would revive our nation and turn our nation back to him. That's what we're hoping for. And so this is a part of that journey. I want you to remember that an important part of that happens this next Saturday. This next Saturday meeting here at 10 o'clock, we're going to be doing a prayer walk and cleansing time over our fellowship and over our facilities. And we want everybody who can to come. And you'll be divided up and you'll be given some prayers of authority and, and cleansing. We'll put it in your hands and we'll, we're wanting every Sunday school class to have somebody praying over that class. And after we've all divided up and prayed and some will be around the buildings, we're going to get back and we'll have a worship time there. And we're going to enjoy that time together. That's another step for us to experience revival. We want God to do a mighty work in our lives. What I've been preaching on is Revival. We've talked about that there was a nation who needed revival. There was an army who needed revival. There's a family who needed revival. We talked all about that. Well, today, I want us to see a different story, and I want us to focus on something that's very important, and that is that revival requires a deeper level of commitment. Now, listen to that. Revival requires a deeper level of commitment. Revival is not going to be experienced by believers who simply want a fire insurance policy. You know what I mean by that? That the only interest they really have in spiritual things is that they don't want to go to hell, and they want to go to heaven, and so they want that fire insurance, and and, and they want to come to... If that's all that you want out of Christianity, if that's all that you want out of your relationship with Christ, then then you're not going to experience revival. You're just not going to experience that. If, if in your life you want to have a casual faith, a casual faith, and what, and what I mean by that is kind of that you want, to, you want to be with Jesus when it's convenient or be with Jesus when it's a need, but you really don't want to be with Jesus and, and, and ha- have him and allow him to be that vital part of your life each and every day. If you want that casual experience, then you're probably not going to experience revival. In other words, if you have the mindset that you say, Lord, I want you as my Savior. I, I want you as my Savior. I want to know that I have a right relationship with you. But, but Lord, I really struggle with this lordship stuff. <laughs> you know, I, I really struggle with you, you being Lord of, of my life. I, 
I kind of like being Lord of my life. I kind of like being Lord of of my family. I mean, there's my recliner. That's my throne right there, Lord. That's where I I sit. That's where I run things and rule things in this house. And it it really really makes me struggle to think that, that you would be Lord over my life. Well, I'm here to tell you, friend, if he comes into your heart and he comes into your life, he comes only as Lord. He comes only as Lord. Now, you may be rebelling against his lordship, but he comes only as Lord. And the only place that he's going to want in your heart, in your life, is to be Lord and master over your life. So if you're struggling with that and and you don't really want him to be Lord over your life and you just want him to be Savior of your life, you're probably not going to experience revival. That's probably not going to happen to you. Because in order for you to experience revival, as we'll see in this story today, you're going to have to have a deeper commitment. You're going to have to have a deeper level of commitment in your life before Almighty God. So the story we're going to look at today is an Old Testament story that has to do with this level of commitment or level of relationship. It describes two distinct levels of relationship. And, And I want you to be able to identify where are you? Which one are you? And then I hope that that God's going to prompt your heart and the Spirit of God's going to move you to where you want to be in that deeper level of relationship because there are great rewards. There are great rewards when you move into that deeper level of relationship and allow God to revive and to renew you. Before we look at the Old Testament story, and we'll read it together, I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the man of God or the prophets of God... They represented God to the people and the people to God. So how people responded to the man of God is how they would respond to God. Right? If they were going to get a word from God, they went to the man of God. If if God needed to give them a word, the man of God spoke it. It was all built around this man of God. So how they would respond to these prophets and men of God is how they respond to God. That's not true in the New Testament. We have men of God. I'm a man of God, but, but it's not the same in the New Testament. Because why? Because of the cross. See, when the cross happened and he cleansed our heart and cleansed our life, and in the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came to reign in our heart and our life, and the Holy Spirit is how we get a word from God. And the Holy Spirit is the one that we talk to and intercedes for us as we pray. We, as men of God, we share the word of God, but How you respond to us is not the same as it was in the Old Testament. So in this story, it's important to remember that how this family, how this individual responds to the man of God is how they respond to God. Let's read the story together. It's found here in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse number 8. Listen. Now there came a day when Elisha, he's that man of God. Elisha passed over to Shunem, where there was a prominent or great woman. And she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. And she would continue to invite him to come into her home. And she said to her husband, behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God. Passing by us continually. Please let us make a walled upper chamber and let us set a bed for him there and a table 
and a chair and a lampstand. And it shall be that when he comes to us, that he can turn in there. One day he came there and turned into the upper chamber and rested. Then he called Gehazi, his servant, and he said, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, behold, you have been careful for us with all that this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken of for the, before the king? Would you be spoken of to the captain of the army? And she answered, I live among my own people. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, truly she has no son and her husband is old. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And then he said, at this season next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. And the woman conceived and bore a son that season, the next year, as Elisha had said to her. All right, let's stop there. Let's stop there. This is a woman who illustrates two different levels of relationship. Two different levels of relationship. Whenever this man of God was traveling through Shunem, and he would go to the north or the south, east, west, and he'd travel back through Shunem. Whenever he would travel through her hometown, she would invite him. She would invite him to come by the way and eat. And that happened for a number of times. Whenever he would come through there, she would invite him to stop by and eat. And he would turn in there and spend that time. That is one level of relationship. Write this down in your notes. This level of relationship is guest by invitation. (laughs) All right, guest by invitation. Now, what do we mean by guest by invitation? Well, there's there's certain traits about that that you you need to remember. And I'll illustrate it for you. The first one is this, that whenever you're a guest by invitation... You have to always be invited. Every time that you come in, you are invited. You are a guest by invitation. And the owner of the house has all kinds of privileges and opportunities about that. They they set when you would come and and what time it would be. And they set how long you will be and, and what will happen in those activities. They are in charge of that. And when you're a guest in somebody's home by invitation, you're totally at their disposal. And it's only if you are invited to come. Now, I came to understand that when I was in seminary. When I was in seminary, one Sunday, my professor asked me to fill in for him at his church in the panhandle of Texas. So I I drove about three hours to get there to preach for him. And when I got there, he had told me this. He said, they will take care of you. They will feed you because I had to preach that morning and then I had to preach that night. They will feed you and take care of you and then you'll preach that night and you'll come back. So I said, well, that's great. That's wonderful. So I drove three hours, got there. I preached that sermon and, and preached that message. And then a lady came up to me and she said, you are eating with us today. I said, well, my professor told me I'd be eating with someone, so I thank you and everything. So she said, this is our house. I made my way to the house. And whenever we sat down to eat, we sat down to eat, she promptly said to me, 
Now, whenever you're finished, you're going to have to leave because we got company coming. I promise you. And when you're finished, you're going to have to leave because we got company coming. Man, the meat got caught right in my throat. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I didn't enjoy another bite of that. She certainly had the right to tell me. She's the one to determine when I would be there and how long I would be there. So the rest of the afternoon, I went to the church and slept on the benches of the church till it came to 6 o'clock that night when I could preach again and then get to come home. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I was certainly a guest by invitation, right? A guest by invitation. That's totally determined whether somebody comes, totally determined about whether or not they want to invite them to come at that time. Here's the second truth about guests by invitation. It requires very little commitment. It requires very little commitment. The commitment is little because, first of all, it can only be for a brief moment. In other words, I don't, get, I don't have to deal with them all the time. I can deal with them for that brief moment. And then whenever that brief moment is over, they are gone, and I go back to my normal life. All right? So it's just for a brief moment. Uh, another thing is, I only have to get everything right, everything cleaned up, everything presentable, and, and, and entertain them for this specific time, just a short time. I don't have to keep it clean all the time. I, I, don't, I don't have to make everything right all the time. I don't have to entertain them all the time. Just for this short period of time, I will entertain them. I will, I will make that right. Very, very little commitment to that. Reminds me of a story about the evangelist uh, that I heard of. His name was Fred Cherry. Fred Cherry was an evangelist out in Texas. And Fred Cherry was an evangelist. He traveled all over places. And, and he was tall. He was about 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. And so when he was, when he was doing it, what, what they used to do during revival times is during the daytime, they'd go visit homes, right? They'd go out and visit homes. They'd visit homes of members and, and maybe people who aren't that active and then prospects. Or well, Fred Cherry tells the story of how he went out to visit with the pastor to the home of some of their members who had not been very active. When they went up to the door, they knocked on the door. Nobody came immediately to the door, but they heard a lot of scrambling going on inside. There's a lot of movement going inside. They sat there on the porch for a while. And whenever they finally came to the door, they acted totally surprised. Well, look at here. Here's the preacher. And, and who's this? This is the evangelist. And they invited them in. These are members now. These are, these are Baptist members. Y'all got that? So invited them into the home. Now, now, Fred said that he was so much taller than everybody else that you, nobody else could smell it, but he could smell up in the top part of the ceiling smoke, cigarette smoke covered with air freshener. Did you hear that? They need a little time to get that straightened out. Well, he could smell that. He could smell it. Not only that, they sat there for a while, and Fred said, uh, said, you know, I'm thirsty. Would you mind, would you mind get me something to, to drink? And, and, and the lady of the house said, you just go on back there to the kitchen, the refrigerator, and get whatever you want. 
So Fred said he just got up, walked through there. When he's walking down the hall, he looked in one room, and here's all kinds of penthouse and playboys just thrown, man. They're just thrown out there. You, you tell somebody did it in a big hurry. He just kind of noticed that. And he walked on down and went to the, to the kitchen, got to the refrigerator. When he opened the refrigerator, about the time he was going to open the refrigerator, the woman of the house remembered there was something in there. And so she runs, and about the time he opens the refrigerator, she arrives at the same time. And sure enough, there's a six-pack of beer sitting right there. And she looks in there, and she said, who put that in there? (laughs) And Fred said, I don't know, but it wasn't me. (laughs) Wait a minute. They were surprised. They they hadn't hadn't invited anybody over. (laughs) They They hadn't expected the preacher to come. Because when the preacher comes, when God shows up, you're going to be right for at least a few minutes. Amen? Oh, yeah. Do you remember the time when we used to invite preachers in when they had revival? They'd invite them in to eat. You know, we didn't have, at that time, you didn't, motels, preachers stayed with the preachers, stayed with somebody else in their home, you know, this kind of thing. And, and when you ate, you didn't go out to restaurants. You, you went to somebody's home. To eat. Well, my mom was one of those who, who was always going to prepare for the preacher. When revival happened, I'm here to tell you, she's going to have the preachers over. Yeah, the preacher. So that was a lot of work. Did you know that? I mean, whenever whenever the preachers are coming over, we got to clean our rooms. We have to even clean our closets. Like the preacher's gonna look in the closet. Mom would say, The preacher's coming, clean your closet. And man, the yards had to be manicured and everything was perfect and the food was glorious and wonderful. And the preachers walk in and think it's this way all the time. Oh, no, it's not. Oh, no, it's not. But wait a minute. If we just got them for a little while, if we just got them for a little while, we can fix everything up and make everything look good and and have it all right for that period of time. Right? That's what it requires when it's a guest by invitation. A guest by invitation. One other other thing you need to remember about that, though, and and that is this, that there are certain things that when you're a guest, when you're a guest by invitation, certain things are off limits. Certain things in the house are off limits. You're not a member. You're just a guest. How do I remember? Well, I was an evangelist one time, so I traveled. And, and we, we'd spend the nights in, in a home sometimes. And it never failed. It never failed. Whenever you'd go into somebody's home, they would go in there and they would take you and they said, Now, this is your room right here, and, and here's your bathroom right there, and, and this is the closet that you can use to hang your clothes up. And this, they'd, they'd tell you everything that, that they would. But this is what they would always say. All right, this is what they always say. Now, listen. While you're here, we want our house to be your house. So I tell you, I said, hey, while you're here, we want you to feel at home. We want you, and, and, and every, our house is your house. Now, they said that, but they did not mean that. Right? They didn't mean that. I, I mean, I, I could go to the bathroom they assigned me and to the bedroom they assigned me and and to the kitchen, if they let me go in there, I could go in there. But there are a lot of things that they did not let me do. For instance, I didn't have a chance to go through their closets. 
are, are to go through their file cabinet, are to go through their, their desk drawers, are to see how much they made, are to see how much they owed, are to see how much they spent. Now, could you imagine that? Could you imagine that? If I'd have been sitting there and they came in and I'm going through all their files, says, what in the world are you doing? Well, you said this house is my house to make it. When I'm at my house, I look all through the bank statements. I look there. I know everything's going on in my house. You told me to make your house my. Well, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. That, that's not the level of commitment that we're talking about here. We, you're committed. You, you're just in that little section there where we allow you to be. But there are certain things that are off limits. That's what it means to be a guest by invitation. A guest by invitation. Now, hold on. Whenever this woman meets the man of God, the first thing that she has is she wants to offer him the privilege of being guest by invitation. She invites him to come in. She invites him to eat. And then every time he'd come by, she'd invite him to eat. She'd persuade him to come in and eat. But it was guest by invitation. She always had to be the one who made the commitment. She was the one to determine how long he would stay and what privileges he would enjoy. It was the opportunity for him to be a guest in her home, but he was not a member of her home. He was not a part of that family. But then something neat happens. You know what it was? That she perceived that he was a man of God. And that she wanted that man of God to be more than a guest in her home by invitation. She wanted that man of God to be a part of her family. So she goes to her husband and says, listen, I perceive this as a man of God. And I think we ought to build him an upper chamber. I think we ought to build him his own room. And we're going to build him this room so that our house really becomes his house. That he has a place for us or we have a place for him. And he can come and enjoy that. And, and notice what it says. And we're going to put in there a, a desk and we're going to put in there a chair. We're going to put in there a bed. If he needs to rest, if he needs to study, if he needs to meditate, we're going to put in there a lamp. We want him in our life and in our family both day and night. We want him anytime and every time. We want, listen, we truly want him to come into our family and to be a part of our family. What a commitment. What a commitment. For see, whenever she opened her home to be family, no longer did she have the right to choose when and where he would be. Because she said, my house is your house, and you're a part of our family. That is a far deeper commitment. Could you imagine seeing somebody, meeting somebody, and saying, we want to give you a room in our house. We want you to become a part of our family. We want you to have total access to everything we have. We want that. That is a far deeper commitment. It costs far more. But it's an important step of commitment. Remember, this story represents our relationship with God. You remember that man of God represents God. So the first relationship that, that she had with God and the man of God 
was by invitation. Lord, we want you to come in whenever, whenever we want you to come in. We're going to invite you to come in. And, and whenever we'd like for you to fellowship with us, we want to invite you to fellowship with us. But you always are only a, a guest by invitation until something happened in her heart. And something happened in her heart that made her know that she needed something deeper than that, something more significant than that, that she needed him always to be in her life and her family and that they needed to make a place for him and for God to be in their family. And what a decision that was. What a commitment that was. But she and her husband made that commitment. Could I ask you a question? If today, if today, the story was written about your life, like this story is written about her life, if the story was written about your life, where would you be? Where would you be? If God records about your relationship with him, how does he describe his relationship with you in terms of that commitment level? Are you just one who invites the Lord into your life when you need him, when you want him? Whenever you've got everything straightened out in your life and everything's just like it needs to be so he can show up at that particular time, is that the kind of relationship that you have with the Lord? Or have you moved to a deeper level? Have you moved to a level to where you said, Lord, we want our home to be your home. We, we want you to always have the freedom to live in our home. We don't have to, you don't have to ask anything. You have every right because remember this, whenever he comes into your home, he comes as Lord. You remember that? Uh-oh. You remember that? He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And when he comes into your life, he'll become and he'll do what he is. And that's to be Lord of your life. That means he's going to take charge. That means he's going to make changes. That, that, that means he's going to look at some things that, that you may have been hiding. He's going to go in the closet you didn't know anybody knew about or that room that you've shut off. He's going to do all that because he is a part of your family. Are you willing to make that kind of commitment? Are you willing to invite him to be that kind of relationship with you? If you want revival in your heart and renewed in your life and you want God to do a fresh work in you, you're going to have to reach that kind of a level can't be this casual Christianity that I wear it when it's convenient. I wear it when I've decided to do it. But rather, you've got to let him be your family. Very quickly, I want you to see something. I want you to see the rewards of this kind of a commitment. It, look what it says there. Don't, don't miss this, please. After she had said this and, and he turned in there, in verse 11, it said, one day he turned into the upper chamber. Don't you know when he turned into the upper chamber and he rested? Don't you know he, he sat back and said, well, I tell you, I've been blessed. <laughs> I've been blessed. This, this family has opened up their lives to me. They're, they've opened their home to me. I don't have to be wondering where can I stay. I have a home and a place to stay. So he, he turns in there. Look what happens in verse 12. Then he said to Gehazi, call this Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Listen to these words. Here is a reward of that deeper commitment. Verse 13. And he said to him, say now to her, behold, you have been careful for us. 
with this great care. In other words, you, you've had a fearful relationship. You realize who we are. You realize that I am a man of God and that you've shown reverence to me as you would have shown reverence to God. And that's caused you to care for me. So here's what he says. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Remember, that's the man of God speaking for God. Amen. When the man of God says to her, what can I do for you? It is God himself saying, what can I do for you? That is the reward of that kind of a commitment level. The reward of that kind of commitment level is for Almighty God to look at you and say, what can I do for you? Not what you can do for me. What can I do for you? How many of you in your life would like for the Lord to be able to ask you that question and say, what can I do for you? I don't know about you, but I do. I want the Lord to ask me that question. I would love for my relationship would be with the Lord and my commitment level to be with him, that he would ask me that question, what can I do for you? Well, whenever he he asked that question to this woman, she's caught off guard. Would, Would it catch you off guard? If the Lord walked up to you today and said, what can I do for you? And you're supposed to tell him immediately, would you catch you off guard? What in the world am I gonna ask? She didn't know what to ask. So he said, would you have me to speak for you before the king? He could have. In other words, he'd brought her name before the king. Would you, would you have me speak to you before the captain of the army, another powerful position? Would you like to be recognized? Would you like to be known? Would you like to be honored by them? Would, is that what you like? And she says, I, I don't long to have that. I don't, I don't need that. She says, I live among my own people. That's not something I aspire to, something I have to have. I don't need that at all. So she really doesn't say what she needs. It wasn't that she didn't have a need. She just didn't know what to say. And then Gehazi said, the servant said, this woman has no son and her husband is old. Well, the greatest thing that a woman could do in that day was to have a child. And even greater than that would be to have a son that she would give to her husband who would take on the role and be the patriarch of their family. And and also would be the one who would be responsible for taking care of her when her husband would pass. She has no son. Now, wait a minute. This woman in that culture should have known and should have realized because she had known it for all these years. She had been barren and had no children and so she longed to have a child, but she had longed to, and she'd anticipated having that child and having that child, having that son. And all these years have gone by, and she has not had a child to the point that she finally even forgets to ask for it. She's resolved in her heart that she's barren and she will have no children. She's resolved in her heart that that need, that longing in her heart would never be met, would never be known. It wouldn't happen. To the point that when God says, what do you have me do for you? She doesn't even know what to say. But Gehazi says, she's, her husband's old and she doesn't have a son. So what does the man of God? He brings her back in. And he says to the Shunammite woman, says, listen, this time next year, you will have a son. And whenever he says that to her, you hear the longing of her heart. She says, please don't tell me that. <laughs> no, man of God. 
Do not lie to your maidservant. You know what she's saying there? I have hoped so long and desired so long and never had it happen that I've forgotten about that happening. And I don't want anybody to put that hope in me that I would have a child. Do not lie to me. That will be a point of disappointment. But the man of God says what God says, God says, God does. And then you see that little footnote down there. And about that time, the next year, she had a son. She had a son. God met the deepest need of her life. God gave her the longing of her heart. God moved heaven and earth and caused her womb to come alive. That she had a child and met the need of her life. Because she had committed her life in a deeper level to him. See, if you want to see some miracles happen, if you want to see the hand of God work, if you want to see needs met, if you want to see unexplainable things take place, it's going to happen in the heart of someone who says, I don't want you to be a guest by invitation. I want you to be a family member by conviction. I want you to be a part of my family. And God moves. That's just the first reward. Next week I'll share with you two more rewards that happen when you have a deeper walk, a deeper level with the Lord God. And boy, they're marvelous. They're wonderful things. It ought to be a longing of your heart said, dear God, that's what I want. Dear God, that's what I need. How do you have it? When you realize that instead of the Lord being a guest in your life, when it's convenient, when you choose it, when you've got everything ready, when you want him there, that he wants far more than that. He wants you to build a place for him and make your home truly his home. And let him be a part of your life and your family in full measure. Are you willing to do that? It costs. It costs. That's not an easy commitment. It costs. But if you're willing, you'll see revival. You'll see a work of God and the hand of God move in a mighty way. But you're the one who chooses what level of relationship you'll have. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.